So let's do what we just sang about. He hears me when I call. And that's how we are to approach him as we go before the throne of grace. A loving heavenly father who invites us to pray, who commands us to pray, and who hears us when we pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to come today to pray for the sick and ask you to heal them, whatever it may be. Our minds go this season to COVID, COVID patients, but uh, that's not all that there are, probably not even a majority. We want to pray for people that are battling cancer, people that are healing from surgeries. We want to pray for people that are battling heart disease and all kinds of things like that, even in our own congregation. I think of Ms. Wiley and how she's developed a brain bleed and they're trying to fix that and ask you to bless Eddie as he takes care of her and the doctors and nurses that watch over her as well. And we want to pray, Father, that you would bless and heal and raise her up. We've got others, Lord, that we can think of that have been battling long-term things. And we want to pray that they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing. We want to pray that they would keep fighting. And want to pray that treatments and everything would work together in the right way that you would heal them. Lord, um, I thank you for helping Brother Roger Pig when he fell the other night. And thank you that there were people to help him. Thank you, of course, for his family. And thank you for doctors. And thank you for medical technology. And thank you, Lord, that his fall was not worse than it was. And thank you that he is uh, doing better and feeling better. And we praise you for that. And, uh, Lord, we want to pray for our senior adults and ask you to bless and ask you to protect them. And let their days be filled with joy and with the peace of God. And we want to pray that they would be thankful for their life and thankful for their experience. Thankful for their family and friends. And that you would fill their lives with joy. And as we saw little children walking out of here just a moment ago, I pray, Lord, for our kids. And I pray, Father, that in this time of divisiveness and hatred of lies, mischaracterizations of people and situations. As we think about uh, just with this virus and we think about the fear that they must feel, we thank you, Father, that you are not the author of fear. And we thank you that you've not given us a spirit of bondage to fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would approach the trials and even the terrors of life from a faith perspective. And I pray that as we walk with you, as we use common sense and all of that, but at the same time trusting in you, may especially our little children see that we're different. And I pray, Father, that that would touch and impact their lives and that during this time period, that they would be impacted so that they come to know you as Savior and Lord and they also walk with you for the rest of their life. So, Father, we pray for our leaders. I don't think I would want to be the mayor of Oklahoma City or the governor of Oklahoma right now because those poor guys can't win. They either don't do enough or they do way too much and we've got a whole population that just loves to criticize everything. 
Help us to be different. Help us to support them, to pray for them, and to hold them up, and to do it for the glory of the Lord. And we pray for their salvation, and we pray for wisdom for them, because that benefits us. And we pray all of this because we believe you're interested in these things, and you're the only answer to these things. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated and may the Lord bless you. And we're in uh, Exodus chapter 16 once again. And we're still in this portion about the manna. About the manna. The what is it? Uh, that bread that comes from heaven that God gives to them. And with it he gave some instructions. Now I've always loved uh, some of these memes that you see on Facebook and other places, like this one that's up here. You had one job. You notice what's wrong with that? Yeah, look at the next picture. Look at that. See the left and the right button? You had one job. And yet what you do when you mess that up, it sends the wrong message. It's confusing. And uh, it's, well, it's just not right. And when I think about these people out here in the wilderness, how many commands has God given them? Well, he had, they haven't been to Sinai yet. They don't have the Ten Commandments. So less than ten, anybody ought to be able to keep ten commandments after all. And by the time Moses is through, there's something like 630 some odd laws that cover everything from birth to death. And uh, life, everyday life, washing your hands and the kind of food you eat and all of that. Well, you could understand people forgetting some of those. But when you look at what we've been reading here, there's just really basically one thing. God says, okay, you're complaining about bread. I'm going to rain it from heaven. And you pick it up every day. You do it in the morning. You don't do it whenever you want to. You do it in the morning. And uh, you get an omer for every person in your household. What's an omer? Oh, it's about two quarts or so. And now what you do with it once you get it in your tent, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, little junior who's, you know, uh, a year old is not going to eat near as much as older brother. So they can eat as much as they want, but that's how much they're supposed to gather. And then when um, it's time for the Sabbath... Don't gather it on the Sabbath. Well, what will we do to eat? Gather twice as much on Friday. And uh, you'll be okay. Well, why can't I just go out and get all that I want for the whole week? Because that's not what God said to do. And we're going to find out that it bred worms and it, well, it stank. So just do what God says. And just do it the way that he says to do it. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me why I can't and fill in the blank. That's the way we live. And it is so foolish to do anything like that. Why can't I do it the way that I want to? People today say, why can't I be any gender that I choose? Don't they? People say, why can't I have sexual relations with anyone, anytime that I want? in or outside of marriage why should I worry about all of that and look at the mess that our society has become we just don't do it God's way we think about ah, oh, to be able to kill a baby inside of my womb if I want to after all it's my body 
They never take into consideration that that other body in there is a distinct human being and you are doing something with their body that they didn't ask for. I mean, we're just messed up everywhere we go. And this is what is called human nature. This is what is called the rebelliousness and individuality of humanity. I will do what I want my way and when I want to do it and no one is going to tell me otherwise. And that's been getting people in trouble for a long, long time. And one of the things that I've noticed is that it robs us of hope. I found a quote from John Calvin and I just want to say to those of us who are believers, we need to be hope givers. We don't need to be discouraging people. We don't need to be discouraging other people by doing things our way. We don't need to be discouraging other people, especially leaders, by saying, we don't care what you say. We're going to do our own thing. We don't need to be like that. In fact, Calvin says, it behooves us to ask that he should increase our hope when it is small, like now, awaken it when it is dormant, Confirm it when it is wavering, strengthen it when it is weak, and raise it up when it is overthrown. Can I get an amen on that? We need it. Oh, that was terrible. Can I get an amen on that? Because we need to be spreading it in our communities. We need to be spreading it in our families. We need to be spreading it in our church. We ought to be the ones who are filled with hope. That's what the word hopeful means, to be filled with hope. And we don't do it whenever we just say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and because I want to do it. In fact, that does just the opposite. Be a hope giver. So let's go to our text this morning. It's kind of long, but I want to get this, uh, uh, these instructions, things like that. Uh, I want to get the whole package here. And so let's go to Exodus chapter 16 and begin reading in verse 17. And this is basically just saying, here's the bread, the manna, and here's how I want you to handle it. But you're going to notice something that jumped out at me. Even in the simplest things that actually benefited them. Remember there in the desert going, oh, how are we going to eat? Oh, in Egypt we got everything we want. Oh, I don't see any way out of this. There's no hope. God says, yeah, there is. I'll take care of you. But here's how I want to do it. And even in the midst of that, you're going to notice as we read that they couldn't, they couldn't stay with it. So verse 17 of chapter 16. Then the children, the descendants of Israel, did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, about two quarts, he who gathered much and had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. They were all satisfied, in other words. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Here we go. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. I don't blame him. Verse 21. So they gathered it every morning 
every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, twice as much manna, two omers for each person, each one in their tent. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. Now remember the Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. The law of Moses hasn't been given yet. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will. Bake today. And boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains. Which, uh, that tells us that they could fix this manna in a variety of ways. Which is probably a good thing. Because they do get bored with it. But they could bake it or boil it or make whatever they want to. Oh, pick up again. Uh, to be kept until morning. Verse 24. So they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink. Nor were there any worms in it. This is a special Sabbath command. Okay, Verse 25. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Okay, now folks, how many times does he have to say that? It's been repeated already several times because that's the Old Testament way of emphasizing it. Bold print, large font. How many times do they have to say it? Verse 27. Here we go again. You had one job. Verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. And what do you suppose happened? But they found... What's your Bible say? None. Verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? This is easy. Verse 29. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel, verse 31, the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations. That they uh, take a jar and fill it with an omer, in other words. I skipped part of that, apparently. Uh, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So this is for future generations to see. Verse 33. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded 
Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Now remember they didn't have an Ark of the Covenant. They didn't have a tabernacle or anything like that yet. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. That's the land of Canaan. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Just in case you wondered, that last part is put in there. Now you know for sure what it is. Now, we read that and we read the instructions. They were clear and they were repetitive. They were made... Uh, well, they were simply put, there weren't that many of them. Gather an omer for every person that's in your family every day. Okay, that's it. Oh, well, except for on Friday, get twice as much because on Saturday, it's a Sabbath that's holy to the Lord. And I want you to rest because there will be no manna on that particular day. Okay? And just like we find so often people go, well, I didn't hear that. Well, nobody told me. Yeah, it was there, and it was pretty clear. And people went and tried to do everything their own way. They wanted to do it because they thought the laws, the rules, didn't apply to them. Now, why is it that in states like California, you can go out and protest on the streets, but you're not supposed to go to church? Because it's dangerous. There's something inconsistent about some of the way laws, or maybe they're not laws, but governmental edicts or mandates are enforced in some places now. Any of you agree with me on that? Why is it that there are political officials that if you did, if you did what they did, you would be in jail they're getting off scot-free. Does that bother anybody but me? Bothers me. Because it's not right. And why is it that there are people who will do those kind of things? Because like the children of Israel here, they have assumed that law doesn't apply to me. That's for them. That's for those people. That's for, maybe they say, you people have to obey those things. But we don't have to do it. And we see those kind of things that happen so often. Sometimes they happen in groups and in mobs or movements. Sometimes they happen just individuals. Have you ever known that stubborn individual that no matter what the rule might be, it doesn't apply to them? It's for all of you. All of you sheep, you all can do that. And you can follow along and be a part of the herd. But I'm not going to be that. I'm a rugged individualist. Well, the Bible calls you sheep. And the Bible says you're part of a herd. The Bible says you're part of a flock. You're part of a body. And just like the children of Israel, sometimes we want to flex our muscle. We want to say, well, I'll do it the way I want to do it until somebody can explain the why. And can't you hear some people in this saying, well, why can't we gather two days or three days or a week's worth of manna? I mean, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? It's the same thing, isn't it? Well, it is the same thing if you're talking about the amount of manna and the sum total. It's not the same thing when you say this. It is disobeying God. And that's bottom line. 
And we as individual humans want to say, I can figure it out. I can do it myself. I can make my own rules. I can reason everything out and I'll do whatever seems reasonable to me. Well, remember the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. That's the problem. Because when I look in these verses and I see some things, like in verse 20, notwithstanding, I like that word, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. I've come to expect that by now, right? Then it says Moses was angry with them. I'm surprised he wasn't angry with them 24-7 the way they treated him. Can you imagine? All this guy did was come and lead them out of Egypt and lead them, well, through the plagues first and confront Pharaoh on their behalf and then lead them out of Egypt. But every time he reaches hero status, they run out of something or they get trapped into something and they turn on him. Every time you turn around, they're not applauding him. They're not affirming him. They're not blessing him. They're not appreciating him. They're turning on him. It's Human nature for some reason. It says in verse 27, Now it happened that some of them, some of the people, went out on the seventh day. You were told not to go out on the seventh day. You were told there wouldn't be anything out there. Well, why can't we? And why won't it work? Can't you hear them? Can't you hear them? Who says? Who says? Well, there needs to be something thundering from the pulpits today across America and around the world that says this, God said it. Some people say, well, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not, right? And we've got to understand that. And if it doesn't start with us having this unquestioned commitment to the plan, the will, and the commandments of God, then we have no credibility when we try to proclaim it before the world. It's time for judgment to begin. Where? In the house of God is where we need to be with all of this. And so it says, the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the people assume that because Moses said it, it was Moses' idea, and therefore Moses is just, you know, he's just one of, one of the guys. It's up for dispute. God said, I beg to differ with you. This is something that I have commanded you to do. And that's why when the Bible says we are to have preference for one another, and we're to do it with honor. Not reluctance, not grudgingly, but I am honored to serve you. I am honored to give in to you. I am honored to yield to you. The no personal rights thing. And we do it with the right attitude, with the good attitude for the glory of God because that's what God has commanded us to do. Have you ever noticed that wherever you go, there's always at least one of these I mean, you had the serpent in the garden and Adam and Eve were the only people on earth then. And yet he was saying, you know, the rules don't really apply to you. That's for somebody else. That's God being self-protective, you know. Eat it, you won't die. It's not going to have any consequence on you. And that has been infecting human DNA ever since. You can get away with it. It doesn't apply to you. You're an adult. You can reason it out for yourself. Use your brain after all. Don't follow God. 
Think about Achan. He's the one that when they went and they conquered Jericho, the walls fell down and all of that. And God said, I don't want you taking anything that belongs to Jericho. And Achan said, well, that's good enough for all of you chumps. That's good enough for you losers. But, you know, for me, I can do it and I can get away with it. You remember that secret sin cost the entire Israeli army a victory at Ai and it cost Achan and his family their life. There's always someone that says, I don't have to. Make me. I'll do it my own way. Think about Saul. Oh, he was a bad one. He was told by the Lord to go attack the Amalekites and not to take anything from them but to kill all of them Animals and everything. Remember, it's pretty clear. And when Samuel comes to check on things, he says to Saul, did you do everything the Lord said? Oh, yes, Samuel. And Saul acts so pious, so religious, and so spiritual. And then Samuel goes, how come I hear sheep? Oh, oh, well, we wanted to save the best of the sheep so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. In other words, he was doing it his own way. He didn't really give a rip what the Lord had to say. He was just going to do it his way. And what did Samuel say? To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul was, well, it was on that day that the kingdom was ripped away from him. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. There was a movement in the early church in Acts chapter 5, I believe. And uh, people were uh, uh, selling land that they had to meet needs in the church. And so Ananias wanted to get in on it. And so they sold some land. And, uh, you know, then when they... uh, Got the land, maybe they got more money than they thought they were going to get. And they decided, hey, you know what? If they're expecting 5,000 out of the land and we got 8,000, we'll keep the three. Now, you know what? Peter tells them they had the perfect right to do that. It belonged to them. The Bible does not teach socialism. That was private property. They owned it. They could either give money or not give money. And they could give as much as they want. You know what their sin was? They lied. And they said, we won't be truthful about this. We're going to tell the apostles this is all the money from the land. And it cost them their life. Because you know why? They said, oh, it won't matter. You know, God doesn't really care. That, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. And I can do it the way that I want to do it. When I want to do it. And how I want to do it. And it cost them their life. There's always somebody like that. You know somebody like that. You may be that person, and I'm warning you today, it's a dangerous place to be. It's destroying our society, and it is one of those things that is an infection that comes up even among the people of God from time to time. Beware of that. There's always at least one. We also learn from this, number two, that the whole congregation suffers. You think all of this didn't affect everybody? You see, when there were some of those people that didn't want to gather twice as much, I mean, maybe they had 15 kids, and so by the time you start getting two omers for each one of the kids as well as mom and dad and whatever you have there, I mean, it's a lot. And so they just said on Friday, I'm just going to get the normal amount and I'll go out tomorrow and get it. You know, God's a gracious God. He's not going to care about any of this. And then other people said, how come you're not gathering 
double all of this. Oh, I don't think it's necessary. There's no need to do anything like that. It'll be okay. And how many people did they influence then on that? How many times when people said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get a whole lot, and one of their neighbors said, don't you think you have quite a bit there? Well, yeah, but I'm not going to go out tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and get it all today. Yeah, but Moses said, ah, Moses, Moses, we don't have to listen to him. We've got a brain. We can think for ourselves. He's just being political. And so they do that. And how many other people decided to do it as well? And the next morning, there's this horrible smell, and there are worms uh, around what happened they gathered more than they were supposed to gather you see this affects everything it's like a disease it's like an infection that comes along and this is why the scripture warns us against this the bible says in first corinthians chapter 12 that uh, if one member suffers all suffer together and if one member is honored all rejoice together. Well, that's a nice statement. That's a nice sentiment. We're all in this together because we are a part of the body. You know what that thing about suffering also means? If one member is under the chastisement of God, all of us suffer because of that. If one member is under uh, uh, the uh, penalty of disobeying God, it affects every one of us it affects our testimony it affects our witness but it also affects our attitude sometimes we see somebody when we are so hard and diligent to serve God and to obey God and then we see a church another church member and they seem to be getting away with sin it kind of disheartens us sometimes and then whenever they are uh, reaping the consequence of it, then it hurts all of us because it's like having your hand cut off or something. And God doesn't want that for us. And the key to this is what? Just be submissive to God and just obey and do what God has told you to do. And the children of Israel here in the desert, boy, that's a concept they couldn't grasp. We ought to grasp it. We have no excuse. We can read these stories and we know what the scripture has to say. And we ought to be really, really good at all of this. And yet we find that, well, our human nature is like theirs. And we have this idea that I can do it my way. I can do it whenever I want, however I want. No one can say anything about it until we run into the brick wall of God's chastisement. And we find out he does have something to say about it and it causes the whole congregation to suffer number three notice this leaders are handicapped when this takes place somebody said one time if you're leading and nobody's following you're just taking a walk and that's true and so if people won't follow the man that God has appointed to be the leader then there's a problem you got a problem with the leader and you got a problem with God but not only that, but notice the Bible says here, and Moses was angry with them. Now, Moses had a problem with anger. Moses, not lily white in all of this. That's his sin. That's his besetting sin, evidently. Remember, he got so angry that he killed the Egyptian and had to run for his life. And from later on, you know the story that uh, he had been commanded to strike the rock and water would come out then the second time he was to speak to the rock but he didn't he was angry with the people and he struck the rock and because of that he didn't get to go into the promised land who's responsible for that well Moses is that's Moses sin he was an angry man but let's be fair 
The people he had to deal with didn't help his anger problem any, did it? I mean, every time you turn around, they're rising up, they're cursing him, they're questioning him. They are, what'd you bring us out here? You know, we're going to die. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where are we going to go? How is this going to work? Oh, Moses, you finally got what you want. You brought us out here to die. I mean, you know, can you blame him? And I think sometimes we find that these people who act like this, they kind of handicap their leadership. The Bible says something about that. Did you know that? The Bible talks about, um, in the book of Hebrews, the fact that, uh, verse 13, 17, listen to this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Yeah, well, of course you would say that. You're the pastor. Now look at this. For they are keeping watch over your souls. It's not an easy job, folks. Not an easy job. Not a desirable job either. As those who will have to give an account. Mm. Now here's, here's the word. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You see these people were shooting themselves in the foot. By doing this. Because all they had was an angry and uptight and discouraged leader all the time. Angry, uptight, discouraged leaders are not creative. They're not pleasant. They're not the most positive. I mean, they're hard to get along with. And these people were adding fuel to a fire. Listen carefully. They were adding fuel to a fire that already existed in Moses. And what was going to happen is Moses' anger was going to be his own downfall. And he, yes, is responsible for that. But the people were adding the fuel to the fire. Is that what you want? Shouldn't be that way. And it was a problem in the New Testament or the writer of Hebrews would not have had to uh, uh, address it. And that's why so many times people, they would rather not be a leader and not take a position of leadership in the church because they know what's going to happen and what they're going to pay for when they do it. And beloved, it just ought not be that way. Leadership is affected and handicapped on that. And number four, a mixed message then is given to the next generation. This thing ends by not just telling us what they were supposed to do and some did it and some didn't do it and the things that go on like that. But Moses says, get a jar, get an omer of that and lay it before the Lord because eventually when they built the Ark of the Covenant, they would put that pot inside of the Ark of the Covenant so that new generations would know about the manna that their forefathers ate when they were in the desert. But I want to tell you something. When they would look at that pot, the little children, and then they would hear the stories from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, they're saying, two plus two doesn't equal five. What's wrong? Why didn't people obey God, follow God? Why didn't they serve the God who fed them, the God who took care of them? And I think that's a good question even for us as New Testament believers. What's wrong with us? 
Why is it that we don't follow the Lord? Why is it that we are not thankful to the Lord? Why is it that we are not obedient to the Lord who has done so much for us? You see, these commandments were really clear. And the Bible says in James 4, 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I'm afraid so many times we're shepherding our children to sin generation after generation after generation. And then we wonder what's wrong with our nation? What's wrong with our churches? What in the world is going on with this new generation? We've taught them you can know the right thing, but you don't really have to do it. You can know what's right, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just do what you want to do. God will take care of all of that. And they reap the consequences of sin. And they learn to be unfaithful. Matthew chapter 18 verse 5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea you hear what I'm saying and when I think about what the Lord has told us to do it's really simple isn't it you have one job basically one job you know Adam and Eve you know just don't eat of this tree and they couldn't handle it you think about these Israelis that we're reading about here it's just gather your manna do it on one day here's the amount you do and get twice as much on Friday that's pretty simple and yet they still couldn't do it and as New Testament believers what are we told to do it basically boils down to this we're told to love God with all of our heart and we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves we're to have a consideration of God and His will, His righteousness, His holiness, His testimony. And we're to love Him. We're not to do it just out of duty. We're not to do it out of resentment. We're not just to do it because He's bigger than us. We are to do it out of love. And we are to have love for our neighbors, fellow church members, as well as our community and the world that we're in. And to love them as we love ourselves. Pretty simple until you try to do it, isn't it? Have one job one job and we're like the guy who had just one job and he just blew it look at that would you hire that guy would you give any credibility to that guy when he told you what stocks to buy would you have any would you take marriage counseling from that guy come on you had one job what happened and we're like the guy that had one job and blew it and we get so busy doing so many other things except the one thing God called us to do. You know, the passage we read this morning, it doesn't say these people went out and gathered manna and then committed adultery. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say they gathered manna and then they cussed God. It doesn't say that they gathered manna and then they stabbed their neighbors so they could get it. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says, notwithstanding they wouldn't heed Moses. They don't need anybody telling them what to do. And the result is, the Lord says, how long? 
And I wonder today when we read and when we know so much and have so much information, we've got so much knowledge theologically and biblically, all of those things, the things that you know, the things that God has been so good to put into your life and into your heart. You had one job. Love God and love your neighbor. And with all the other things that you did, you failed to do what he actually commanded you to do. That's pretty sad when you think about it. And so we put a sign out, out in front of the church. Here we are, the people of God. And they look at it and they go, you didn't even spell it right. How should we believe anything that you say? And until the people of God get right with God, we don't have any credibility before the world. And when we don't have credibility, we don't have power. And God wants us to have a powerful testimony that is credible before a lost and dying world. And then, as we glorify and honor God, we see Him move in great power. And we have victory in our own lives. That's what I desire. I don't want to do everything else except the one job that he gave us to do. Loving God and loving people as we love ourselves. And if we love them, we're going to give them the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus paid for sin on the cross, bearing the wrath of God... And he's the only one that can do that. And he rose from the dead three days later. He's been exalted, sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he is Lord of all. And the Bible says if you or anyone watching will call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is your verse. That if you will confess the Lord with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the message. And that's the hope that we have. And now as believers, what are we to do? Folks, it's simple. Just obey God. Just obey God. Will you pray with me? Father, when we look around, we can criticize the world. But truly, we need to look in the mirror. Are we doing what you've called us to do? Are we kind of misspelling the gospel as we present it? Because we actually have it cloaked in selfishness, in self-righteousness. Do we stand up and say, I can do it myself. I don't have to be and do what anyone else says. I'll do it my way. And we find ourselves being so much like these people we read about in the Old Testament. So we're here to very humbly say, Lord, we're all guilty. I am, all of us are. Please forgive us. And let us fall into line under your will to do things your way and for your glory. Loving you with all of our hearts. That's where it starts. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And getting it right for the glory of God. And that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? God bless.